the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Folks, the study of prophecy should be a very sobering study for each of us as we enter into the Olivet Discourse. Why? Because the study of the future should lead us to greater godliness and holiness today. See, when you realize that prophecy is not just about gathering information and figuring out stuff about what's going to happen and when and and where, once you realize that this is really going to take place, that someday I'm really going to stand before the Lord, that the future is real, that this present world as we know it is passing away, then the question is, am I ready for this? Am I ready to stand before Christ? Am I ready to be in his presence? Or would I be ashamed if he came today? As kids, we used to play hide-and-seek. After finishing the countdown, usually from 20 or 15, the person who was it would say, Here I come, ready or not. God's countdown is rapidly drawing to a close. And then Jesus will say, Here I come, ready or not. For some, it will be a glorious and welcome event. For others, it will be a day of tragedy. I hope you will be ready to look upon the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom you will spend eternity. If you're not ready, keep listening to today's class to discover how you can be ready. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our teacher. We are in a study of Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Jesus is telling the disciples about the most difficult time in human history, that period of seven years known as the Great Tribulation. Let's join Steve now as he begins class. Notice verse 21. He said, For then there will be a great tribulation, notice this, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. No matter what atrocities have taken place in history, Jesus said this time period will be the worst. It'll be the worst. It'll be a time of unprecedented natural catastrophes, persecution for believers. They'll be persecuted by a man we call the Antichrist, as well as others. There'll be false teaching that will abound. There'll be untold Horror, so much so that notice in verse 22 what Jesus said. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. What Jesus is saying is that if God didn't intervene and end these days of tribulation, nobody's making it out alive. Nobody. It's that horrible. That horrible. Now, folks, it's in the midst of those days of tribulation That the Olivet Discourse reminds us that God is sovereignly in control of everything. Obviously, Jesus is predicting all that's going to take place. So he knows what's going to be taking place. 
But think with me a step further. Jesus not only knows what's going to be taking place, he is orchestrating what's going to take place. He has determined what's going to take place. Obviously, God knows everything. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. But some of us have not realized that God is sovereign. When we say God is sovereign, that means that all of these things have been decreed by him. He's determined them. He's orchestrating them. Every single one of them. See, the Olivet Discourse, then, is a wonderful reminder to us that even in the midst of our pain, our personal tribulations, our our suffering today, our trials, God is still on the throne. No matter what you're going through right now, that has been determined by God. He doesn't just know about it. He's brought it into your life. He sovereignly sends it into your life. And he has a purpose in bringing that pain, those trials upon you right now. Prophecy reminds us of that. God is sovereign. Things don't happen by chance. Second lesson that the Olivet Discourse has for us is that it reminds us to be ready for the Lord to take us home. Now, I mentioned the rapture before. I don't believe for one moment the rapture is mentioned here in Matthew 24 or 25. But the return of Christ is mentioned here in the sense that he comes back to earth. The rapture is where we go to him. The return of Christ is where he comes to us. And part of the purpose of the Olivet Discourse is to tell the people to be ready for his return. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 42 and following. Matthew 24, starting at verse 42. Jesus said, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming... He would have been on alert, would not have allowed his house to be broken into. I mean, that's such a truism. Of course, if you know when a thief's going to come, you're waiting up for him. Verse 44, for this reason, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he is. So part of the purpose of teaching us prophecy is to say, be ready, be ready. In fact, chapter 25 is about parables that teach be ready. Be ready. Now, in principle, then, in principle, if Israel and people living in that time period are to be ready for the Lord's return, then certainly we are to be ready for the rapture any moment. So these warnings apply to us in terms of the principle of being ready. And why should we be ready? Why is it so important that we're ready for the rapture? Because the purpose, pay close attention to this, the purpose of prophecy is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future. It's not to gather information so that you know more than somebody else. It's not to simply learn for the sake of learning. The purpose of prophecy is to help us live more godly in the light of the coming of the Lord. That's the whole purpose of prophecy. Not that you just might know these things, but that you might know these things so that you would impact your life. Today, let me show you a few passages. First, John, chapter three, first, John, chapter three. Notice verse two. John said, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. So we don't know all that will be like in the future. John is saying right now we're the children of God. We know a little bit about what will be in the future, but not everything. 
We know, though, and I added the word though, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. We may not know exactly how it's going to work out, but we know we'll be like Christ in character because we'll see him just as he is. And watch this. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him, this hope of what? His return and to be like him someday purifies himself just as he is pure. John is saying, if your focus is on Christ and his return and being like him when you see him, it has a purifying effect on the way you live today. Peter said the same thing, 2 Peter 3.11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Listen, since in the end, everything's going to be burned up anyway, how does that impact the way you live your life today? And I would encourage you when you have a few minutes, look up Romans chapter 13, verses 11, 14. Paul essentially says the night is almost up. Salvation is closer than when we we believed initially. It's time to wake up and live godly. It's almost here, closer than than ever. So the Olivet Discourse, folks, is very relevant to us, even if these prophetic truths are directly addressed to the Jewish people and not to us. There are principles there that impact our lives. Now, going back to Matthew 24, the disciples must have absolutely been stunned by what Jesus said concerning the destruction of the temple. But apparently they continued as they left the temple area. They left Jerusalem. They were walking back to the Mount of Olives and then over the Mount. They apparently continued discussing this amongst themselves. And we say that, we know that, because the, the very next thing we read is that upon arriving at the top of the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, was about 100, and in fact, it still is, 150 feet above the city of Jerusalem. It's like right across the street. There's a valley, and then you look back at the city of Jerusalem. After arriving there, they asked Jesus to explain to them what he was talking about, some things related to prophecy. And it is our Lord's response to a couple of questions that the disciples ask that reveals the second foundational truth concerning the Olivet Discourse. The first truth is simply not only that the Olivet Discourse is related to Israel and the destruction of the temple, but there is a second foundational truth, and it's this. The Olivet Discourse covers the time of the tribulation, and only the tribulation time. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the ends of the age i believe if you understand their questions and how jesus responded you'll get it you'll get the meaning of the olivet discourse while jesus was sitting on the mount of olives which as i said is directly across from jerusalem a little bit higher up but right across probably he was there watching the sun go down over the city Some of his disciples approached him privately. Mark tells us who they were. They were Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They approached him privately to ask him some questions concerning what he had just said about the temple's destruction. Now, notice very carefully what they want to know. First, they ask, when will these things happen? That is, tell us when, at what time will the temple be destroyed? That's what they want to know. Secondly, they ask him, and this is really just one question, 
What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? As I said, this this last part is one question. They they want Jesus to tell them what sign to look for that will indicate when he's coming. In the sense of coming to set up his kingdom at the end of the age, what sign should we look for? What will what will be the sign that will initiate that the end has come? Now, here's something crucial to understand. In the minds of the disciples, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and Christ's coming and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth were all connected. They were all all one. In other words, they thought that all these events would take place about the same time. That's why they're so concerned about Christ's statement about the destruction of the temple. See, in their minds, the destruction of the temple would be at the same time that Jesus would bring this present age to a close and then establish his messianic kingdom. These men have no concept, no idea that the destruction of the temple would take place just 40 years later in 70 AD and that Jesus would return to heaven, establish what we call the church age. And then only at the close of that period in history. Would come back. And establish then his messianic kingdom on earth. From their perspective, they were convinced that the kingdom of God on earth was going to be established by Jesus immediately. And they wanted to know what supernatural sign to look for that would indicate that it's about to happen. You see, understand this. These men believed that it could happen at any moment. That's why they're hanging with Jesus primarily. I mean, there were more to that. They loved him. They cared about him. But they are expecting that he's going to manifest himself as the king. The Messiah in his glory and establish his kingdom. That's why you have John and James mother saying, I would like that each of my sons would be one on your left, one on your right in your kingdom. Luke 1911, you can look it up, says that they thought that the kingdom would be ushered in immediately. Even after our Lord's death and resurrection, remember, just before he ascends back to heaven in Acts 1, 6, they say, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? That's what's on their mind. And it is my belief that the reason that Judas Iscariot hung around Jesus was that he wanted a little bit of kingdom glory. He wasn't converted. He wasn't a true believer. And I, I do believe that the reason that he betrayed Jesus is he, he realized that either it wasn't going to happen when he thought it was, or perhaps he went and betrayed Christ because he thought that if uh, under the pressure of arrest, Jesus would then establish his kingdom. How wrong he was. So apparently the reason that they believed, and this is important, the reason that these men believed that the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem were tied together with the establishment of Messiah's kingdom is because there are Old Testament prophecies that speak of Jerusalem being invaded just prior to the Lord's coming to establish his kingdom. One of those prophecies is Zechariah 14, 1 through 3. Now, let me just read this to you and you can understand why these men misunderstood. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured and the houses plundered. The the women 
will be attacked and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against these nations as when he fights on a day of battle. This is saying that that the Gentiles are going to have their way in Jerusalem. And then the Lord is going to come and defend Jerusalem and then set up his kingdom. Now, that will take place. Everything we read in Zechariah 14 will take place. But later, at the close of the tribulation period. However, at this point in the lives of the disciples, they don't get it. They don't understand that there are two distinct comings of the Messiah to earth. They don't grasp that he's about to die on the cross as payment for their sins. Now, I know that Jesus taught this, but I'm telling you, these guys didn't get it then. They don't realize that the church age is about to materialize, after which will follow the rapture, the tribulation, and then Christ returns to establish his kingdom. Now, someone may question this and say, of course they understood about his second coming, because they asked for a sign about his coming, the sign of his coming. So doesn't that prove that they knew that he's coming back? No, and let me explain. The Greek word that's translated here, coming, can mean arrival in the sense of Christ's return. It can mean that, but in a secondary way. The basic meaning of this word is simply presence. Presence. That's apparently what the disciples mean here by speaking of his coming. In other words, they want to know what the sign will be that will indicate that Jesus is about to reveal himself in his permanent and glorious messianic presence. That's what they've been waiting for. That's what they've been anticipating. When is he going to manifest himself as the king of glory and establish his kingdom? That's the presence. That's the coming they're looking for. Now, later on in this chapter, Jesus does speak about his coming in the sense of his second coming. But that's not what the disciples were thinking about right now. And let me just prove it to you. They don't understand this. They didn't understand that he was leaving, let alone understand that he's coming back again. So at this point, based on their limited understanding, they're just reasoning in their minds that since Jesus has now said that the temple is going to be destroyed. In their thinking, we must be very close. We must be very close to the end of the age and the time, Lord, when you're going to establish your kingdom. So what we want to know is when will this take place? And what sign should we be looking for that will indicate that these things are about to happen? Tell us, folks, that's what they're asking. Now, it's important for us to understand that even though the disciples were not correct at this point, later on, when the Holy Spirit fills them and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit and they write scripture, they know what's going on. But not at this point. But it's important for us to understand that even though the disciples were not correct in their understanding that the temple's destruction would be at the same time, of Christ establishing his kingdom. Because listen, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It's never been rebuilt again. Jesus has not established his kingdom yet. So they were wrong. Yet it gave the Lord the opportunity to explain to them and to us about the final years leading up to his glorious return to earth. Which means, watch this, that Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse are strictly about the seven-year tribulation period that will end in Christ's return and the establishment of his kingdom. It's not talking about 70 A.D. It's not talking about 1948 A.D. or 1967 A.D. or 1988 A.D. or the times that we're living in right now. It's about a time in the future 
which we call the tribulation, but what was known to the Jewish people in the Old Testament as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, because it is a time of trouble and tribulation that Israel will face right before the Messiah returns. This is the time when God will once again turn his attention upon the Jewish nation that he has abandoned through a series of physical devastation, national horrors and unparalleled persecution. He will pour out his wrath upon an unbelieving world. But at the same time, he will use these horrors to bring Israel finally to the end of herself so that she will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus as her Messiah. And she will say, as the nation is converted at the end of the tribulation, she will say, as Jesus predicted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You'll not see me again until you recognize who I am. Paul teaches in Romans 11 that there at the end of the tribulation period, all Israel, he says, will be saved. He does not mean that every Jewish person who's ever lived will be saved. Israel living at the end of the tribulation will finally have the blindness removed and she will embrace her Messiah. Now, folks, the study of prophecy should be a very sobering study for each of us as we enter into the Olivet Discourse. Why? Because the study of the future should lead us to greater godliness and holiness today. See, when you realize that prophecy is not just about gathering information and figuring out stuff about what's going to happen and when and, and where, once you realize that this is really going to take place, that someday I'm really going to stand before the Lord, that the future is real, that this present world as we know it is passing away, then the question is, am I ready for this? Am I ready to stand before Christ? Am I ready to be in his presence? Or would I be ashamed if he came today? See, if you knew that Jesus Christ was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? Some might say, well, I would witness to everybody. I'd, I'd run out of here. I'd miss a meal. I'd miss all the meals. And I'd just be witnessing. Others would say, I would make sure I would restore all broken relationships. I don't want to see the Lord and have relationships that, that have been bad. I want to restore everything. I'm going to go to everybody who I feel like I owe an apology to, and I'm going to ask them to forgive me. Others would say, I would pray more. I would stop eating and I would just pray, or I would worship intensely, or I would repent of any lingering sin. But you know what your answer should be? If asked that question, if you knew that Jesus would come tomorrow, what would you do today? You know what would be the appropriate answer? You should be able to say, if I knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, I would do nothing differently today than what I had already planned to do. Because that would indicate that you are living in the light of his coming. See, each of us should live each day with an attitude and expectation that Jesus could come for us at any moment. And we should be ready for that. We should live with the thought, perhaps today. And if we do that, it's going to affect the way we live, the way we talk, and the way we think to the glory of God. Now listen, if you're not saved, if you've never turned to Christ for forgiveness of sins, it's not too late. It's not too late. Do that. Make sure you are ready for his return. 
And the way you make sure is you repent of your sin. You turn from the way you've been living and you turn to Christ and trust him as Lord and Savior. Let's bow for prayer. Father, as we embark on this wonderful, wonderful study of Matthew 24, I I pray, Lord, that our hearts and lives will be changed. Keep us from just gathering information for the sake of information. I pray, Lord, that each one of us will be challenged to consider how we're living. And I pray that we would have a, a consciousness, Lord, that perhaps today you would come for us. I pray for those who don't know you. I pray that they would be scared, even frightened, into recognizing that they are sinful and not ready to stand before a perfectly holy God. May they see Christ as the one who died as the substitute for sinners. And therefore, they don't need to fear. They don't need to fear judgment because he has taken judgment upon himself. So, Father, may this study be life-changing for all of us, for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My listening friend, if we here at Verse by Verse Ministries can be of any help to you concerning these future events Pastor Steve has been talking about, please feel free to call us at 727-239-0306. We'd love to talk with you and show you from God's Word how you can be ready for Christ's return. Please call us. You can visit our website at versebyverseradio.org to listen to this message again. Download it free of charge and share it with a friend. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel, located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.